1: The Murder Minute podcast contains depictions of real-life true crime stories. Some details may be disturbing and listener discretion is advised. This is Murder Minute. I'm your host, Mrs. Smitty, and today is Wednesday, January 26th, 2022. Today on Murder Minute, the story of Jerry Brudos. A fictionalized version of Brudos was featured in the hit Netflix series, Mindhunter in which an FBI profiler interviews some of the worst serial killers alive in an effort to understand their twisted minds. Brutus' mind was twisted indeed. I'll tell you the story of his life and crimes later in the episode. But first, your true crime headlines. A Connecticut man has been arrested and fired from his job after an outburst at a smoothie shop. The incident, captured on video by a store employee, shows 48-year-old James Ionazzo screaming at the workers, demanding to speak to whomever had made his smoothie. Ionazzo had ordered smoothies from the Robex and requested no peanut butter in his drink. After his son suffered a severe allergic reaction and had to seek emergency medical treatment, an enraged Ionazzo returned to the smoothie shop to to confront the workers. A 17-year-old store employee recorded the 48-year-old financial advisor screaming and swearing throwing a smoothie at one of the workers and trying to enter a locked door marked employees only. The video was shared on TikTok and quickly went viral. Ionazo, a financial advisor at Merrill Lynch was fired from his job as a result of the incident. He turned himself into police and has been charged with intimidation based on bigotry or bias in the second degree, breach of peace in the second degree and criminal trespass in the first degree. He is set to appear in court on February 7th. It's been about 20 months since George Floyd was killed, and right now the federal trial is underway for the three former officers facing charges for his death. The three ex-officers are each charged with deprivation of rights under color of law for allegedly failing to give Floyd medical aid, as fellow officer Derek Chauvin knelt on Floyd's neck and back for 9 minutes and 29 seconds on May 25, 2020 in Minneapolis. The three have pleaded not guilty to the federal charges and are being tried together. The federal case is separate from the state charges for Floyd's death, for which the officers have also pleaded not guilty for two charges of aiding and abetting in a trial that's tentatively set for June. Derek Chauvin's state trial, which took place last year, resulted in guilty verdicts on charges of murder and manslaughter. Chauvin pleaded guilty in December to federal civil rights charges for violating Floyd's rights during the arrest. He faces a sentence of between 20 and 25 years in prison on the federal charges, which would be served concurrently with his current 22 and a half year sentence on the state murder charges. Unlike in the state case against Derek Chauvin, the proceedings are not being televised because federal court does not allow cameras. Formal charges were brought against Sean Laval Smith in Los Angeles on Friday. Smith is charged with murder and a special allegation of using a deadly weapon in the killing of UCLA grad student Brianna Kupfer on January 13th. Kupfer was working alone in a furniture store when she was killed in the random attack. She was stabbed to death around 1.50 p.m., just minutes after she texted a friend that a man in the store was giving her a bad vibe. A passerby found her bleeding on the floor about 20 minutes later, and she died from her injuries. A tip from the public led police to Smith at a Pasadena bus stop days later, where he was arrested without incident. Speaking to reporters after his arrest, Smith's aunt said the man suffered from mental health issues and had a history of violence. Those were this week's true crime headlines. For even more True Crime Headlines, you can follow me on TikTok at True Crime Headlines and on the Stereo app, where I'm known by the username Mrs. Smitty. Murder Minute is also on Instagram with new true crime stories and bonus true crime headlines. All the links are in the episode description. Feel free to check those out. After the break, I'll be back to tell you the story of Jerome Brudos, the shoe fetish killer. Stick around. Hey, Murder Minute listeners, it's me, Mrs. Smitty, and our next partner has a product that I use literally every morning. You know, there's never been a better time to have a strong immune system, and I decided in the beginning of this year that I was going to really make sure that I was taking my vitamins and doing everything that I could to stay healthy. It was really exhausting for me to take handfuls of vitamins and supplements every day and remember which ones to take at which time and with food or without food, and so, I was really excited to find out about Athletic Greens. Now, instead of a shelf full of vitamins, I mix one scoop of AG1 with cold water, give it a good shake, and drink it in the morning before I have my coffee. It's simple and delicious, and it's loaded with good stuff that keeps me going all day long. Each scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens lifestyle friendly, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, dairy free or gluten free, and contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs and no nasty chemicals or artificial anything. Also it tastes delicious. Athletic Green supports better sleep quality and recovery, supports mental clarity and alertness and it's like the one thing with the best things. It uses the best of the best products based on the latest science and as the science updates, so does the product. It's really amazing and has totally changed the way that I uh, take care of myself. But don't just take my word for it, try it for yourself. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash murder Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash murder To take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance i think you're going to love it as much as i do
0: this episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com it's easy to find your new vibe dive into the western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from prada you can shop for everything on your agenda whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com.
1: Hey, Murder Minute listeners, it's me, Mrs. Smitty, here to tell you about Notion. With hybrid work becoming the norm, the strongest teams have two things in common, speed and alignment. Both come from having one hub where everyone can share work and processes, manage projects, And collaborate with clarity. For companies of all sizes, Notion provides one central and customizable workspace that can be tailored to fit any team and bring all teams together to get more done and move faster. Learn more and get started for free at Notion.so. You can check it out on your own and invite as many folks as you want to see how it works. Take the first step towards an organized, happy team today. Again at Notion.so. That's N O T I O N dot S O. Hello, Murder Minute Listeners. It's me, Mrs. Smitty, and I'm here to talk to you about a, a new award-winning skincare brand called Proven Skin I want to tell you about how Forbes magazine called them the Tesla of Skincare, where beauty meets technology. Here's how it works. Proven Skincare creates personalized skincare based on over 47 factors about a person's skin, genetic background, lifestyle, and environment. Their skincare formulas are rooted in the world's largest beauty database called the Skin Genome Project, which was the winner of MIT's AI Technology of the Year Award. What it does is it analyzes the universe of skincare data, including the effectiveness of over 20,000 skincare ingredients from over 100,000 skincare products and over 28 million testimonials from real people on what each individual's skin needs to feel truly cared for. All of this analysis results in proven skincare's custom three-step system that actually works, including a personalized cleanser, a day moisturizer with SPF, and a personalized night cream. This simple, effective system replaces a shelf full of products. You take an online quiz, and get a personalized skincare routine that's custom-made just for you. Plus, your formulations are updated every eight weeks to evolve with you based on changing seasons, your skin's acclimation to active ingredients, and even life changes like pregnancy, menopause, or a big move. You should check it out for yourself. Visit www.ProvenSkinCare.com to take the free Skin Genome Quiz, and use the code MURDERMINUTE at checkout for $20 off your first order, plus free shipping. That's ProvenSkinCare.com, code MURDERMINUTE, for $20 off your first order. P-R-O-V-E-N, SkinCare.com, code MURDERMINUTE. Welcome back. As I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, today I'm going to tell you the story of Jerome Brudos, who came to be known as the shoe fetish killer. The shoe fetish started early in little Jerry's troubled childhood. One day when he was five years old, he was playing at a local junkyard and it was there that he found his first pair of high-heeled shoes. He wore the open-toed high heels home and when his mother saw them in the shoes, she became enraged and screamed at him that he better take them back to the dump. Jerry tried to hide the shoes from his mom, but she found them and destroyed them. Jerry was the second son of Henry and Eileen Brudos, who already had a son named Larry when they found out they were pregnant with their second child. Uh, Their pregnancy was not planned. And when his mother found out that she was pregnant, she was hoping for a girl. Instead, she had Jerry and her disappointment deepened over the years into an open hostility towards her young son. She was warm and caring to Jerry's older brother, but cold and critical of Jerry. By the time he was in first grade, Jerry's family had moved to Riverton, California. His first grade teacher in Riverton wore high-heeled shoes and she kept two pairs in the classroom. One day Jerry decided he was going to steal one of the pairs and take them home, but a classmate foiled his plan and told on him, and Jerry had to confess to the attempted theft. His teacher reacted angrily, and the whole incident was very embarrassing for young Jerry. His family moved two more times during his childhood, first to Grants Pass, Oregon, and then to Wallace Pond, Oregon. While they lived in Grants Pass, they had neighbors with several teenage girls, and Jerry befriended the girls' brothers so that he could come into their homes and steal their sister's underwear while he was playing with the boys. As he began to go through puberty, he started to have bizarre fantasies about capturing a girl forcing her to obey his commands and begging him for mercy. His family moved again to Corvallis, Oregon, where his brother Larry was studying electronics at Oregon State University. Jerry continued his habit of stealing women's shoes and underwear in Corvallis, and he would use them to enhance the pleasure of masturbation. Late in the summer of 1955, 16-year-old Jerry stole the undergarments of an 18-year-old girl. Jerry decided that he wanted to get a nude photograph of the girl instead of just relying on the undergarments for his sexual pleasure. So he set up an elaborate plot to get the girl to take the photos. He asked the girl to come to his house under the guise that he could help her get back her stolen undergarments. When the girl arrived at Jerry's house, she was accosted by a masked man with a knife who forced her to remove her clothes and took several photos. The man left and the girl got dressed and fled. Before she could get away, she ran into Jerry who said he saw the intruder and locked them in the barn. The girl left and informed the police of what had happened, but no action was taken. In 1956, Jerry Brudos attacked the woman for the first time. He was just 17 years old and he had prepared well in advance for the assault. First, he dug a hole in a hillside where he planned to keep girls as sex slaves. Then, wielding a knife, he lured a 17-year-old girl to his car. He drove her to a deserted farmhouse where he beat her profusely and forced her to take naked photographs for him. A couple stopped on the scene of the crime and they notified police. Jerry claimed that he had stopped to help the girl himself and was not the attacker. The couple did not believe Jerry and eventually the Oregon State Police obtained a confession. In Jerry's house, they found women's undergarments, photos, photo equipment, and Jerry was arrested for assault and battery. Just like when he was five years old, he was caught red-handed. He was sent to the psychiatric ward of the Oregon State Hospital for evaluation. While he was in the hospital, Jerry told doctors about his collection of women's clothing and his fantasy of putting girls in freezers so he could rearrange their frozen bodies into sexually explicit poses. But for some reason, the doctors didn't think that there was anything seriously wrong with him. And after nine months of treatment, he was discharged and deemed to not be a danger to society. While he was in the mental hospital, Jerry had been allowed to attend high school during the day at North Salem High School in Dallas, Oregon. While his grades were low, they were good enough for him to graduate with his class in 1957. After high school, Jerry tried his hand at college, but he struggled academically and eventually gave up on school, deciding instead to enlist in the army. Jerry was stationed at Fort Ord, California and did his basic training in Fort Gordon, Georgia. He was granted the rank of E2. While he was in the army, Jerry began to have twisted dreams and spoke with the army chaplain about them. The chaplain referred him to an army psychiatrist who eventually discharged Jerry Brutos from the army because of his bizarre obsessions. After he was discharged from the armed forces, Jerry moved back to Corvallis with his parents, living in their shed. One night after running an errand, he noticed a young girl who was walking home. He followed her and then strangled her to the point of unconsciousness and stole her shoes, which he would sleep with at night. At the age of 22, Jerry got a job at the local radio station in Corvallis. While he was working at the radio station, Jerry met his future wife, Darcy Metzler, who was just 17 at the time. The two began dating, and while Darcy's parents did not approve of the relationship, they were married just a few short months after they started dating. In the early years of their marriage, Jerry would ask his wife to do housework naked in high heels, and he often took nude photos of her. Darcy obliged for a while. Not long after they got married, Jerry and Darcy welcomed their first child, a daughter. They spent the first several years of their marriage moving up and down the West Coast as Jerry struggled to keep a job and eventually settled in Portland, Oregon, where Jerry found work as an electrician. They gave birth to another child, a son, and Jerry set up an intercom system in their home, instructing his wife that she was not to enter the attic or garage without first asking his permission over the intercom. Darcy complied with these strange demands of her husband, never thinking anything of it. So now that Darcy was a mother of two young children, her time and attention was really focused on parenting, and she didn't have time to indulge her husband's increasingly bizarre fantasies. So uh, Jerry turned to prowling instead, breaking into his neighbors' houses and stealing their shoes and underwear. Soon, this prowling would not be enough for Jerry. In 1967, Jerry Brudos was walking in downtown Portland when he noticed a woman wearing high-heeled shoes. He followed her home and waited for night to fall. Once she went to bed, he broke into her house, strangled her into unconsciousness and raped her. When he was done, he took her shoes and left. This encounter proved to be irresistible to Jerry Brutos. He later testified that the woman's limp body had aroused him, but the next time Jerry Brutos didn't have to go looking for a victim, someone came straight to his front door. 19-year-old Linda Lawson was selling encyclopedias when she came to the Brudos' home on January 26, 1967. Brudos saw his chance, and he took it. He pretended to be interested in buying an encyclopedia set to lure her inside. While his family was upstairs, Jerry Brudos hit Linda Lawson on the head and strangled her to death. After he killed her, he stashed her body in his garage. He then cut off one of her feet and stored it in his freezer. He used the severed head to model his collection of stolen shoes. Shortly thereafter, he tied Lindis Lawson's body to a car engine and dumped it in the Long Tom River. A few months later, on Thanksgiving, Jan, Susan, Whitney broke down on the interstate between Salem and Albany, Oregon. Brudos offered to drive her home with the excuse of letting her call a tow truck from his house. While they were still in the car, he strangled her with a leather strap and raped her. He kept her body hanging from a pulley in his garage for several days, during which he dressed it, photographed it, and had sex with it. This time Brudos cut off one of her breasts and made a resin mold of it that he used as a paperweight. Afterward, he tied her body to a piece of railroad iron and threw it in the long tom, along with Slauson's foot, which had rotted. While dressed in women's clothes, Jerry Brudos kidnapped his next victim, Karen Sprinkler, at gunpoint from the the parking lot of a department store on March 27, 1969. In his garage, he forced Sprinkler to put on several different types of women's underwear while he photographed her. He then raped her and hanged her by the neck from the pulley in his garage, strangling her to death. He had sex with her dead body several times before cutting off her breasts and making plastic molds of them. Afterward, he used nylon cord to tie her body to a car engine and threw it in the Long Tom River. 24-year-old Sharon Wood would be his next victim. He attempted to abduct her at gunpoint from the basement floor of a parking garage in Portland on April 21, 1969. Sharon fought hard to fend off Jerry's attacks. She bit his thumb so hard that it bled. Jerry beat her unconscious, but... An oncoming car caused him to flee the scene of the crime, and Sharon was able to escape. Police failed to make any immediate connection between Sharon's attack and the attacks that had happened previously. And so nothing was really done. The very next day, he attempted to abduct a 15-year-old girl who managed to escape. And the day after that, he successfully abducted a 22-year-old girl named Linda Saley from a shopping mall parking lot. He brought Linda to his garage, where he raped her, strangled her, and mutilated her body. Her corpse was also thrown into the Long Tom River, tied to a car transmission. With this killing, police finally realize that they have a serial killer on their hands. The police begin investigating the grisly crimes altogether. After interviewing students at the nearby Oregon State University, they start to hear stories about a Vietnam vet who had called young women looking for a date. One of the women told police that he had mentioned the bodies in the river and had made an unsettling suggestion about how he could strangle her. As it turned out that man was Jerry Brudos. The police asked one of the women to set up another date with Brudos. Then they swooped in to interrogate him and quickly decided that this might be their guy. After police obtained a search warrant for his home, they found evidence that proved beyond a reasonable doubt that Brudos was the likely killer. There was nylon rope, photographs of the dead women, and most horrifyingly of all, the trophies he had kept of his heinous crimes. At some point during an interrogation, Brutus confessed to all four murders, as well as other attempted kidnappings and earlier assaults. At trial, Jerry Brutus was found guilty of the murders of Sprinkler, Whitney, and Saley, and sentenced to three consecutive life sentences. He wasn't convicted for Lindis Lawson's murder, only because her body, was never found. As for Brudos' wife, Darcy Brudos was arrested along with her husband and charged as an accomplice. A neighbor initially claimed that she saw Darcy and Jerome Brudos carrying an unconscious woman out of their house. However, the witness was discredited during trial, and since there was no other proof, the case against Darcy was dismissed. She divorced her husband and changed her name and the names of her children and moved away to an undisclosed location. Jerry Brudos died in 2006 in prison, having served 37 years of his life sentence. That was this week's episode. For more true crime content, follow me on Instagram, Stereo, and TikTok. And uh, join me back here next week for another episode of the Murder Minute podcast. Until then, this is Mrs. Smitty signing off. Bye-bye.